What's up, everyone? This is episode number 50 of the Wax Museum podcast, the Big 5-0, right? Where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Um, it's been an interesting and wild week in the hobby for me, and I'm sure it has been for some of you as well. I'm going to start off today with a few odds and ends. Um, this first part is something I'd like to call, don't be that eBay seller. Um, so the first incident I had this week, I bought a lot for a really good price. You know, had a couple cards in there I might keep, the rest of them I would move. I was excited about it. I got it in the mail and one of the minor cards was missing. You know, it wasn't worth a whole lot, but it, it wasn't there. So I asked the seller if he still had it and he, if he would, um, and he said he would send it in a regular envelope through regular mail. And um, I messaged back, you know, that would work, but please make sure it's protected because the mailing machines seem to chew those things up. Um, and he replied, just realized that after shipping and eBay fees, I might have cleared $7 for the lot. Send them back and I'll gladly refund you. So I explained that I didn't want to send all of them back. I just wanted the missing card. I said it wasn't my fault that he didn't pack all the cards to begin with. And... You know, predictably, his tone changed quite a bit, quite a bit, and he replied, um, "Send him back. I'm done with your attitude." So, I probably will never get that card. It's not worth a whole lot, but it's kind of the principle of the thing. And in that case, there's really nothing I can do. Um, so, like I said, it wasn't super valuable, but it's still frustrating. Some of you are out there. You you've been on eBay for a while. I think I'm about to hit the 20 year mark. I think. Um, so, you know, this, this type of stuff happens, but some of you that are out there, you're new, just be prepared. This is a small sampling of what you could run into. Um, but I would say, you know, over those 20 years, I don't run into a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, however, there was another incident this week. So another seller had a lot of, um, Kobe stuff that was, uh, titled poorly. I won the lot for something like $30 shipped and immediately I get a message afterward that said, Sorry, had to end auction. Cards were stolen this afternoon before I returned home. Sorry for any inconvenience. Which, mind you, he didn't end the auction. I got the message that I won. He waited for it to play out to see what it ended at. Um, so I asked him, because he had other cards listed, I said, well, what about those cards? Are they okay? Have they been stolen too? Um, and he said, well, the other cards were not at my place. They were at a friend's house. Okay, so how convenient. So we're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff or a lot of the, um, you know, my son got a hold of my phone and accidentally bid on the card that I just happened to be looking at. Um, and then, you know, as, as we also predicted, a lot of the Kobe stuff is getting returned in this time frame as well. So just um, welcome to eBay. That's the highs and lows of it. All right, uh, moving on to this week in social media. And that's not an official segment on this show. I guess I don't really have segments, but I suppose it, it could be um, could be something I do every week. I don't think I want to do that. But um, prior to the last year or so, the, the sports card sector of social media, it functioned on a somewhat normal basis when you compare it to everything else on social media, at least. Um, even some of the normal phishing posts, you know, you might see someone pull a card and, and they claim they didn't know a price 
like, oh, just got this, um, not for sale right now. Um, but all of that's kind of changed as of late. So I saw someone either yesterday or today with a Zion parallel out of optic numbered to 29. There's a lot of optic stuff that's flooded my timeline in the last two days. Most of it's bad. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this year's product. I'm going to try and hold off and save that for another for an entire episode because there's a lot of stuff to go through. But anyway, um, so this person had this optic Zion number to 29, not autographed or anything, and they're asking for $10,000 or something crazy like that. Well, I think it's safe to say we've moved past the fishing phase and it's now more like that TV show, The Deadliest Catch. Sticking with the social media theme, um, after last week's episode, there's been a lot of social media talk lately, I noticed there were a handful of people calling for reform in one of the investor groups, which I thought was a good thing. Um, you know, that take ownership of that group. That's good. Um, now, whenever leadership stepped in, it seemed like they were looking to funnel people towards um, tools and membership programs that cost money. Be wary of that. That's a topic for another day. Um, but even after all of that, there's still more social media to talk about. Um, in fact, there were still two posts that took the cake and I can't let them go. And I'll be honest, I think things are getting to the point where I don't know what's real and I don't know what's parody or trolling. And there's even, there's an account on Instagram. I'm sure you guys have seen them. Um, they're called Investicard and their videos crack me up. And for a solid month, I thought that they were a parody account. And I, that's not a slight to them. I just, I honestly thought they were a parody account. Um, as far as I know now, though, they aren't. And I, maybe the host, maybe the, you know, the owner of that company is just um, unintentionally really funny. I enjoy their stuff. Okay? I, you know, I don't know much about their history or anything. I enjoy their stuff, though. It, it entertains me. So that just goes to show that the line between reality and parody, it's getting really blurry. Um, or maybe I'm becoming more gullible. So... What were my two social media posts of the week? Um, I don't know if this is exciting or sad or whatever, but here we go. Um, let's go backwards. Okay, so number two. This is from an account called Mike Stadium Sports Cards. He's got a, a shop with um, the same name. He's not at fault here. Instead, this is just an incident that happened to him. And this post said, um, he said, I have a collector who bought two boxes of prism from me and is distraught that they had a bin to them. Yes, he is upset that his prism NBA cards experience a curve. It is his belief that because my store does not have a dehumidifier that I am causing the cards I sell to experience an unnatural curve. But wait, it gets better. Since then, he has gone to the bank so that escalated. He's gone to the bank who explained that he must contact the police to pursue this matter. And after a visit today from Aurora's Finest and hearing of your threat to affect my business, I am using this platform to uninvite you from my location. Please do not visit my location again and I wish you the best in finding non-curving prism singles. Well, there you have it. Welcome to 2020 in sports cards. I mean, the dehumidifier thing was bad enough, but then he called the police. And then even worse, they actually showed up and investigated. You know, what does that even look like? 
104. This is Aurora PD. Suspect is a white male. 1,500 followers on Instagram. Selling sports cards that are slightly bowed. Roger that. I mean, these people should be stopping, I don't know, bank robbers or chasing jewel thieves instead. I mean, imagine if these chromium cards had been greening too. This is unbelievable. And that was post number two. So there's still one more to go. Are you ready for this next one? Number one. Those of you that follow me on Instagram, you've seen me parody this one already. I couldn't let this one go. And it's from the Panini Prism Sports Card Group, which um, from what I've seen, that was the same group someone asked about if there were Michael Jordan Prism cards. Before I go any further, I do want to encourage people to collect what they like and to collect how they like. That's been one of my messages on this show for a while now. Um, So please do not let what I say deter you from the way you like to collect. Um, With that being said, our tastes are different. And if I think something is goofy or stupid, then I might talk about it and I might call it goofy or stupid. And it is what it is. Um, So this post that I'm referring to, and I posted it, on my Instagram this week. It starts with a picture of someone wearing a Zion jersey. Okay. And then they're wearing a gold chain with some kind of contraption connected to the bottom of it that's holding a Zion silver prism rookie. So it's a necklace with a Zion silver prism rookie. Um, And I'm not going to give the name, but it says, so-and-so made this insane pendant can be done in gold, 10 carat, 14 carat, or 18 carat, silver, or platinum. The pendant is about five ounces of gold, so they are for BALLERS, and that's in all caps. But what's 10K in gold when they are showing 10K plus cards? Um, and afterward, this the jeweler that made this posted this piece to Instagram with a close-up. Um, so I got a better look of it. And it's a chain with a gold crown at the top holding a rectangular gold box that opens on one side So you can customize it and slide a one-touch magnetic in there with a card of your choice. So mine would be Jeff Foster, of course. Um, And then on the uh, front at the bottom, it looks like there are two little, um, looks like the And One logo silhouettes, which I did sport a pair of And One Rockets back in the day, mind you. Those were good shoes. Um, Now, I'm not going to critique the artistic quality of this thing. It probably takes a skilled craftsman to rig it up, so I don't know. I'm not independent. But I do want to hit on the possibility of wearing a card around my neck like it's a national badge or something. And, you know, I don't really wear jewelry, so I guess I need to ask, where do you even wear something like that? It's hard enough for me to pull off a jersey, but at least at an NBA game I can get away with it. You know, even if I wore this thing to the national, how do I know some prism investor wouldn't snatch it away from me just like that rare um, Yankees baseball that got stolen this year? And then what if I put a bowed prism card in there? Are the police going to grow suspicious of me then? So many questions and I have zero answers. So if you know or if you have a good idea what I can do with this thing, let me know on my social media. All right, well, speaking of Prism Investors, that moves us into the main topic today, which is Blowout's new Modern Wax Private Equity Fund. 
um, because they started off their whole announcement by saying, serious investors wanting to get into the card world have a new option. Okay, well, that's great. Uh, let me read on. Let's see what else they're saying here. So it says, it's the Modern Wax Fund, which is a first-of-its-kind private equity fund that is focused on trading cards. Set to close on February 28th, the fund is a creation of Attic Investments and Blowout Cards. They have packaged more than $3 million in unopened product, some of the rarest and most desired baseball, basketball, football, and other cards from the modern era into the project. The fund will hold its assets and sell them unopened in the coming years. The fund is open to any accredited investors with a $25,000 minimum. Allocation decisions will be made by February 20th. Um, and then it continued, it will own more than 9,000 boxes and is chock full of product we all wish we had purchased and stored in our closet, said David Aarons of Attic Investments. It's safe to say that the assets are under contract at a price below current market value. Um, and then he encourages everyone to take a look at the private placement memo, which I have done and will get to shortly. Before I even jump into Blowout's detailed pitch for what they're going or what they're doing here, I want to provide a basic definition of a private equity fund. Because if you recall from all of the other recent financial forays that we've seen, um, there was the IPO that wasn't really an IPO. And then we have the ongoing Dutch auctions, which I have so graciously dubbed Dutch ovens instead. Well, basically, private equity is a type of investment where investors raise a large fund and then reinvest those funds in different ways to try and get the biggest profit they can. Um, in its simplest form, and I'm, you know, I might be oversimplifying here, I'm trying not to, it's investing in shares of something outside of a stock exchange, and then they're managed by someone else. So as far as I understand this new blowout venture, it does comply with that basic definition. Um, all right, so earlier I referred to the private placement memo, which was one of the documents provided by the Attic Investments website. I want to encourage you to look through these things in their entirety. They tell you in the documents right at the start. If you're going to be a part of this, you have to understand the merits and the risks involved. And there's an entire section on the merits and risks. With that being said, there are roughly 65 pages of information to go through. I'm not going to read every page word for word, but I am going to do my best to convey the essence of what they're trying to do here, as well as sprinkling in some of my thoughts along the way. Okay, so jumping right in, we find out early on in this document that, um, quote, the fund has secured approximately $3 million of factory sealed or professionally authenticated unopened product of trading cards in the form of boxes and cases, which the manager will purchase in exchange for $1,430,878 of cash and a 50% equity interest in the fund. Um, quick translation, they're raising a little over $1.5 million um, and then they own the other half. So the fund intends to close on this purchase at the end of the offering period, which is the closing, and then sell 25% of the assets in the four to seven years following the closing. Now, I will say um, from everything that I've read, most of these things, the the um, the time period would be ten years, and not four to seven. But you know, we're dealing with wax here. We're de we're dealing with something different. It's hard to tell long term how stuff is going to appreciate. Um, but anyway, the fund is targeting an annualized return of twelve to eighteen percent to the members. 
Okay, so then in these documents, they ask the question, why private equity funds for trading cards? That's a good question. It basically boils down to this being the first time this even seems doable. Um, the market, is, you know, as you guys know, the market and the hobby are changing at a rapid pace. And they also mentioned that Blowout is offering $3 million of some of this product for the fund, not because they want or need to sell the product, but because they understand the potential benefits to the industry that new money would bring, and in particular, institutional money. Well, when you put it that way, man, Blowout looks great here, right? They're not doing it because they need to sell it. They're doing it for the good of the industry. Okay, I'll continue. Actually, they'll continue. Um, it says management is aware that the first fund in an alternate, uh, I'm sorry, an alternative asset class is going to require pioneering investors. So, if they want investors, right, who is actually eligible to invest? Um, the short answer is not the average person, not me. Um, and then you know, there's nothing that doesn't mean it's bad just because I'm I'm like a very like low scale employee, right? Um, you have to be an accredited investor. Um, one of the requirements is that your net worth is $1 million or you're consistently making $200,000 a year. So they're looking for 63 people who fall into this category and are willing to put up $25,000. So like I said, that definitely doesn't apply to me, but it's important that we know and understand what's happening in the hobby. As I've said before, nothing happens inside a vacuum. You know, I don't know what all effects this will have on everything else, but I want to be able to react to them when they're happening if I have to. And I have a feeling that if I want to keep collecting in the future, if I want to put serious time into this hobby, you know, like having a podcast, right? I'm going to have to understand how it works and learn to coexist in this environment. Okay, continuing on um, in their documents. They give a brief history of the trading card market. They talk about how the old model in the junk wax era wasn't sustainable. They explain some of the major changes the hobby has seen over time, including um, parallels, autographs, relics, and grading. And then they follow this up with another good question. Why unopened product rather than individual cards? You know, why aren't we just investing in Trout and LeBron and all of these generational athletes that we feel are safe? Good question. So the answer here is that while the overall supply of a card in a particular product is fixed, the supply of unopened boxes and cases can only decrease. Okay, meaning the, once these boxes are opened, they're not going to become sealed again. Group breakers are accelerating the decrease in supply. Um, now, I don't know if they needed to add this or not, but I didn't see any mention this, in this document about how Blowout encourages and hosts their own group breaks. Um, so they're helping to decrease that product on the market as well, which that could be an interesting piece um, later on. You know, if they're trying to invest so much in a certain style of product and then they start decreasing the supply that's out there, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's any possibility for. Um, questionable activity there. Who knows? Um, all right. So the information continues with a brief look at what products are being held. I figured they would try and, and lump a bunch of junk boxes in there to get rid of them. There's a complete listing in one of the PDFs. You know, there are your, the big ones that I'm going to name here in just a moment. There's also like 80 boxes of Prism Draft. 
There's 80 boxes of Revolution, it seems like, from each year. So they've sprinkled some other stuff in there as well. Um, I'm sure there's stuff that's chocked full of redemptions. And um, if you guys haven't heard the new redemption policy for expired redemption, they're going to give you half of the value of that card in points. So now imagine something from an old box. Good luck getting that, right? Someone sent me a picture of a, of a Kobe redemption they got from a 2012 box this week. Well, you're not getting that. Um, all right, so uh, anyway, the, the boxes in this fund cover a variety of sports. Um, the highlights from the basketball side include um, 1986-87 Fleer Basketball, 96-97 Topps Chrome, 2003-2004 uh, Topps Chrome, and then 2018-2019 National Treasures. Um, all right. So let's move on to asset sales and how they think, you know, if they get all these investors and if all this works out, how they think they're going to move this product. Because without an actual buyer, it's worth absolutely nothing. So their plan here, and as I said earlier, their window, they're looking at four to seven years with a 25% target per year. And all assets will be sold in an open and transparent format. So that could be directed to um, eBay, could be heritage auctions, could be golden auctions, could be Leland's, um, could be uh, top online consigners. It says none of the sales will be through Blowout Card's retail platform. I'm wondering if there's some other way they're going to try and move them through Blowout. But here they're saying, the way they've worded it, none of the sales will be through Blowout Card's retail platform. Um, they talk a little bit more about put options here. They also discuss breaking products into smaller units. Um, so what that means is, let's say if you have four boxes of Topps Chrome and the average uh, pack cost for you there is $150, but you can grade the packs and then net um, you know, $700 per box or you know, after your grading fees or whatever, you, know, you can net a certain amount they said they might pursue that as well. So you're basically trusting the manager to do what they feel is best in that current market. Um, after this, they mentioned that questions and suggestions are encouraged. I will commend Blowout's Thomas Fish because he's been active on the forums and willing to answer questions. So um, like a lot of, you know, unlike a lot of these other financial projects we've seen, they're not really trying to hide behind this. So whether you agree with it or not, they do believe in it and they want to be open and they want to be transparent and they want to answer questions. So we'll see you know, if a list of questions are presented, how that's handled, um, but that's, that's what it's looking like so far. So um, speaking of the forums, I want to take some time to sum up the reception this thing has received so far, both positive and negative. Uh, on the positive side, there were several people that chimed in saying that um, they were an accredited investor themselves, and they were intrigued at the very least. One of them gave the reason that um, doing this kind of investing on your own is very inefficient and eats up all of your storage space. He concluded that if you're rich and you want to dabble in the sports card market without a lot of effort and knowledge, this is a good option for you. I don't know how many people really fit in that category, but... You know, if they are out there, then perhaps this could be an option for them. 
Um, a third person noted that they're personally already doing something like this on a smaller scale, but he did add that he felt like he could create an asset mix better than what this provides. Um, he does. He likes the diversification, but he also feels scared of it. So more or less, you have some people here that like the idea, but um, some that would want a little more control over what they're investing in. Um, I, and I tried to present as much positive as I could, but that's really the summary of all the positive reactions there. On the flip side, um, some of the more critical feedback seems to revolve around three things. Um, the true value of the assets the possibility of blowout controlling the wax market, and then the eventual selling of assets. The first one I mentioned here was the true value of assets. So people looked at the list of, of all of the boxes that are included in this across multiple sports. Someone took a Bowman Chrome baseball box that's currently being offered on blowout for $140. This modern wax fund that is partially blowout, right, values it at 180 and then the last box sold on eBay was for 130. And so another person chimed in, well, I'm shocked that they're not having an independent third party value the inventory and provide a detailed report to prospective investors. And that, that seems a little strange to me as well. Um, now those involved, they countered and, and claimed that these prices were tabulated in November of 2019, which they might've been. So there could be some variation in pricing I don't know for sure. It seems strange to me. Somebody said every single box on there is inaccurate. I don't know about that. I would have to go through. I did not take the time to look at every single box. There are just pages and pages and pages of them. Um, now, if if um, if they are kind of fixing the pricing numbers like that and inflating them a little bit, how does that work to their benefit? Um, somebody posted a multi-step process that could potentially play out. So there's five steps to it. Um, number one is that they could value the wax at a higher amount than it's worth. Number two, then they get investors to buy in based on that inflated evaluation. Number three, they hold on to that money for three to five, uh, three to four years while the fund grows. Um, they could number four, they could invest that money elsewhere and make some interest. Number five, then they blowout wins whether or not the fund appreciates in value. Okay, so that is a possibility. I don't know if that is what's going to happen, but I'd like to look at all possible angles. The second group of criticism revolved around the possibility of blowout controlling the wax market. And I've talked to a few people, either shop owners directly or people that have talked to shop owners that have already verbalized that they can't compete with blowout as is. Something like this could only make the situation worse. So even going back to the prices that they figured in November for this thing, someone pointed out that this allows blowout to lock in the gains that they have booked on paper when they priced everything out. So basically they define the market by pricing on their website. They then sell that investment, which by the way, they own half of um, at their predetermined market price. So now they're selling boxes on their site, selling in quotation marks, um, that they haven't sold or are having trouble selling. I was talking to another collector. He noted that Blowout has had a case of 2012-2013 Prism up for months now, and it's not selling. But they can include it now in their investment package that they're selling, and essentially it is now quote-unquote sold 
And at the same time, they're still keeping the tangible asset to offload in that time frame of four to seven years. So that is something to think about. All right. Um, the final area of criticism deals with the selling of the actual assets. What will this look like when the four to seven year window closes? Um, it should be noted that Blowout is getting roughly $6,000 a year from this fund to store boxes that they already store. And then they get to offload the insurance cost as well. Um, there are several people that have noted that this whole thing seems like a major conflict of interest. One poster claimed, I have significant issues with a company that sets market price for product and has a significant stake in said product with who knows how much unopened product being a 50% owner in an investment fund for that product. And that's something to think about. Over the last 10 years, what company is one of the biggest and sole purchasers of high-end wax? It's Blowout. And some of their stuff that they're going to include as a part of this um, has sat around for a long time. Um, one of the posters that voiced some concerns, he's actually going to be on this show um, in a, a week or two to talk about Panini inserts. So him and I were talking, and um, he summed up his take on this whole thing for me like this. Okay, He said, How on earth would Blowout go about selling this wax when they have problems selling their own? And by problems, I mean I can find almost every box on that list for sale on the Blowout site. If I'm investing, I want product that moves. I want volume. I want Blowout to mass guarantee sales of 2022 Update or 2022-23 NBA Prism as an investment and unload them when the product is hot, not wait years to hope to nickel and dime each expensive box, many of which do not sell. And he closed with, I don't hate the premise, I just don't trust that blowout or anybody can actually pull off what they're attempting to do. Um, and then finally, he talked to me about the process of unloading high-end wax. He said that breakers are not buying 2018 National Treasures first off-the-line boxes anymore. So if you want to sell those, where do you go? Well, you go to Blowout. He also talked about his struggle to move boxes of 2003-2004 Topps Chrome just two years ago. So apparently, it's easier said than done. And we'll see if that rings true for a big company like Blowout. Alright, so there you have it. Um, I know that was quick. Like I said, th these PDFs, they're like 65 pages. There's a lot of stuff in there. Um, I read through all of that for you. I tried to read through different perspectives. I tried to talk to people. I'm sure I'm still missing out on stuff. Um, but I tried to pull information from the fund documents themselves. And I, I tried to take some from people that are okay with it, some that are skeptical of it. Um, like I said earlier, I would encourage you to do some of your own reading on the topic, even if you aren't interested or eligible even to take part of this. Because I think it's important to understand because it could have major implications on the hobby if it goes through and it could still affect everyone in the long term. With that being said, I'd love to hear from you. If there's anything I didn't consider today or any other major concerns you have about this fund, let me know on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. 
tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.